Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I do recognize your authority in my life. I recognize your authority in this church. I recognize, Father, that this is your place and that we are your servants. So, Lord, I just come before you now and I ask you to give me the words to speak, the words to say, and how to say them. Father, I pray that you would just have your way in our church, in our, in our own physical, personal lives. You would have your way in this community. Lord, that we really would be the lighthouse that you need us to be, that we really would be the salt, Lord, and the light to this world that so badly needs to have your influence. So, Lord, as we go through this message today, I pray that you would just be here this morning, and I pray that you would encourage us and excite us and motivate us, Father, to be the the vessels that you would have us to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we introduced our new name, Centerpoint Assembly. And uh, this morning, I want to continue to talk about that a little bit. And I want to talk about the opportunity that I believe that this really gives our church Um, to be named something that is significant, I believe, is a real important thing. Names are very important. And having a good name identifies you to the community and also brings a reminder to you who you are. And uh, it's a good thing. So I want to review just a little bit about that this week. And I want to hopefully that, so that we'll all gain a good appreciation for why that name I believe, I really believe this. I really believe the Lord is giving us this name. I don't think it's something that we've just fabricated on our own. I think the Lord has given us this name, and I think he's given us a logo that goes along with it, and I'm going to, show, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later today. Um, but I really want to make sure that we let this settle in. I don't want to rush through this process. I want to make sure I'm getting your thoughts. We as a board and as a church leadership want to make sure that we're all in agreement on this. We don't want to run ahead because this is an important name, and when it says that we're center point assembly, it's making a statement in our community that we really are putting Christ at the center point of our life. And if we're not comfortable with doing that, if we're not comfortable in saying that, then we should reconsider, and maybe we should go back to the Lord and say, Lord, are you sure that this is our name? If we're not really willing and able and capable of putting Jesus at the center point of our life and then saying it publicly, then I guess I would also ask the question, is Jesus in the center point of your life? And are you really saved? I mean, let's get right down to brass tacks. That's not, you know, since we're a family, we can talk pretty openly and honest with each other, in love, of course. But if we don't really exercise this with Jesus at the center point of our life, then I think we're, we, we are smart, wise, to examine our own life, as we will in communion as we take later today, and that we will examine our own life and find out if Jesus really is the center point of me. Is he really? Is he your center point? Again, what is the significance of a name? It's a continual, continual reminder of who we are in the community and to ourselves. Um, see, so many times we need reminders. God knows how imperfect we are as human beings. He knows that we are because he created us. (laughs) He knows my imperfections very clearly. And he knows my weaknesses. 
And thank goodness he doesn't dwell on them. And thank goodness he doesn't always bring those up in front of me. I do a good enough job myself. I don't need God bringing up my weaknesses. Because <laughs> I remind myself all the time about how weak I am and how, how, much, how easily I, I can mess things up. But God is faithful and he loves us. And, and he wants to give us reminders as to who we are in Christ Jesus. See, when you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you became a new person. You became a new being. You became a redeemed person. Yes, we're still human. Yes, we still make mistakes. But when Jesus' blood that we sang about today washes over us, it redeemed us. It made us new people. It gave us a new name in heaven. Understand that. You have a new name. You have a new name written in heaven. Not the name that you were born with, a new name. Jesus gave you a new name, a heavenly name. Because of, the, because of the transformation that happened in your life, that moment when you said, Jesus, come into my heart. And now we have the responsibility to live that way. We have the responsibility to live day after day with that understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. And that's not always easy, is it? Sometimes we forget who we are. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, when Christ came into me, my weaknesses went away. Now, only, the, only they went away only because Christ came in and filled me with his power. Only because of that can I even begin to live a Christian life. I can't live it on my own. I have to live it through the, through the fact that Christ is greater. And he's living in me. Therefore, ah, what's living in me now is greater than he or what, than what is in the world. And obviously, that's something that Satan wants us to forget. Satan does not want us to realize that. Satan does not want us to remember that. He wants us to forget that. Because as long as I know that I'm greater through Jesus Christ than Satan, Satan has a problem. But that's why he comes with me with distractions and discouragements, with all kinds of stuff that comes my way, because he wants to make me forget who I am in Christ Jesus. He wants me to, re he wants me to think about the old man that I was, the man that stumbled and fell so much. And that's why God helps us in this area to remember who we are. And sometimes name changes are given to people. And I want to go back to what we said last week again because this was very significant. Let me ask the question, why did God sometimes change a name, a person's name in the Bible? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought why Abram was changed to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Saul to Paul, Simon to Peter? Why? Why did God do that? Well, here's an answer. When God changed a person's name and gave him a new name, it was usually to establish a new identity. God changed Abram's high father name to Abraham, father of a multitude, and his wife's name from Sarai, my princess, to Sarah, mother of nations. We know from history that the descendants of Abraham and Sarah formed many nations, including the Jews and Muslims. God changed Jacob's name, supplanter, to Israel, meaning having power with God. He changed Simon's God has heard name to Peter, meaning the rock. 
Why did Jesus occasionally call Peter Simon after he had named, changed his name to Peter? Probably because Simon sometimes acted like his old self instead of the rock God called him to be. The same is true for Jacob. God continued to call him Jacob to remind him of his past and to remind him to depend on God's strength. So why did God choose new names for some people? The Bible doesn't give us his reasons, but perhaps it was to let them know that they were destined for a new mission in life. The new name was a way to let them in on a divine plan and also to assure them that God's plan would be fulfilled in them. See, it's almost like God knew that people were going to forget. Do you think God knew that? <laughs> Do you think God knew that we were going to forget his promises? Do you think that God is that smart that he knew in advance that, that even after he makes us into a new person in Christ, that we're still going to forget sometimes, we're still going to go back on our own abilities, we're still going to fall back on who we think we are in our flesh? Yeah, especially in times of tough going. When the times get tough is when we typically forget who we are. And that's why God changes names. And, and that's why he changed it for, for, for Abraham and, and some of these other people. And it's no different for us. See, God's power remakes us as well. And, and even though we're new creations in Christ, we need a reminder sometimes of who we are. We need to be reminded that, that it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about who I am. It's not about who I think I am. It's about Jesus. That's the biggest thing I think that we forget, that it's about Jesus. That, it's, that we, also, we, we always fall back on our own natural abilities, and we think about ourselves more than we think about Jesus. And that's the, that's the challenge that we have today. So I want to go back, and I want to go back into the Word and take the real-life example of Abraham and find out how and why it was so important that God changed his name and, and the significance of Abraham's name. So we read Abram meant high father. Now that's not a bad name. I wouldn't be ashamed of being called high father. High father's a good name. I mean, it's, it has respect. It has authority in it. The high father name, my kids could call me high father all the time, and I'd be happy about that. There's nothing wrong with that. And some would argue that there really was no reason for God to change his name because it wasn't a bad name. See, but God had other things in store for Abraham. God had some things in store that Abraham needed to know. He needed to understand why and who he was. Let's go back and read in, the, read in Genesis chapter 17 the account of God changing the name Abram to Abraham and then also Sarai to Sarah. Read with me, if you would, in your Bible, chapter 17 of Genesis, the first eight verses. It says, when Abraham, or Abram, sorry, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you, will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. 
the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Wow, what a promise that God gave to Abraham. Skip down to verse 15 and 16, and let's read about Sarai. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And then verse 19, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. Now Abraham had just said, Father, God, I'm 99 years old. And Sarah is 90 years old. How in the world are you going to give us, how are you going to make me a father of nations? I don't have a son with Sarah. I have a son with my handmaiden who is Ishmael. In fact, why don't you just make Ishmael the guy, God? Just let Ishmael be the one that you're going to give your blessings to. And God said, no, I have a plan, and it includes Sarah. Sarah will be the mother of nations. And that's where, he said, that's where he picks it up in verse 19. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah, Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So here it is. We see God visiting Abraham, or Abram at the time, 99 years old. It's an old man. Even in those days it was an old man. A man beyond bearing, childbearing ages at that time. And his wife Sarai is 90 years old. Both are barren. She was not, well, he had a child with his handmaiden, but Sarai was, was, was barren at this point. And God just gave them a promise that they will have a child. And from that child they will uh, be the father and the mother of nations. So why is all this important? Let's fast forward to a time in Abraham's life when he needed to be reminded of his destiny. What's so amazing about God is, see, God never makes mistakes. God never does things, and then he says, uh-oh, I, I, I blew it. Uh-oh, I, I forgot about that. God never makes mistakes. Why is that so important for you and I to know that? Because we think sometimes we're a mistake. Sometimes we think we've been forgotten. Sometimes we think that we've missed the mark. If you're seeking the Lord, if the Lord is the center point of your life, you are not a mistake. The things that are coming in your life are there for a reason. And sometimes we just need to be reminded by them. So let's skip ahead in Genesis, to Genesis chapter 22. And let's read the account here in God's Word so that we don't miss it. We don't miss why God made the name change from Abram to Abraham. What's the significance of that for Abraham now? Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read a number of verses here, but we're going to intersperse it with some dialogue. We're going to read the first 18 verses. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. But here it is a second. Let's stop here. Here it is sometime later. Now this sometime later could be maybe 30 years later. God just gave Abraham a great promise. Here we are a few chapters later, and those few chapters can be almost upwards of 30 years. Now God has a test for Abraham. I hate tests. Do you like tests? Why did it have to God, why God are the tests? Why do we have to have the test of life? But here comes the test. 
He says, I have something for you, Abraham. I have something to test you to see if you really know who your name is. He called him Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, God, God called the name out that he gave him 30 years before. And he said, Abraham, take your son, reading in verse 2, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Morah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Wow. What a test. We see God really hitting Abraham hard here. Take your son. And by the way, Abraham, this is God speaking. This is your only son. The son that you love, Abraham. In case you don't know what son I'm talking about, Isaac, your only son, the one you really love. I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, do you don't think that Abraham had a few questions here? You don't think that he might have had to go back to that name and said, wow, you gave me a name, Abraham, meaning the father of nations, and now you're taking my only son and you're going to ask me to sacrifice him, God? You don't think he needed to have that name as a reminder now of God's promises to him? Abraham was obedient. Starting in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Well, wait a second. <laughs> Abraham says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, I thought Abraham was going there to sacrifice his son, so who's we? Does Abraham have a mouse in his robe? I mean, who's this we thing all of a sudden? See, Abraham had such faith in God. Even though God told him specifically what to do, and Abraham is going to do it, he knew that God would somehow still make him the father of nations through Isaac. I don't know if he thought that God would provide a sacrifice just at the last minute, or maybe he thought that even if I slay Isaac, he will bring him back to life. But Abraham did not doubt for a second. He was obedient to the last minute, everything God asked him to do. So he was already remembering the purpose of his name change. He knew he would be Abraham, the father of many nations, to Isaac. He believed it. And that's a challenge for all of us today. Let's continue in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, Isaac here is not a young boy. Isaac, in some cases, I, is, uh, it was estimated to be anywhere from his mid-teens to possibly 36 years old. Isaac was not a child. And uh, that's important. It's important because it showed the obedience of Isaac as well. 
Isaac could have rebelled against his father at any time, but he didn't. When they reached the place, in verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay, the, to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, he called him twice. God wanted to make sure he got his attention. And don't you think Abraham was glad to hear the voice of God this time? <laughs> he had the knife out. He was ready to slay him. And the Lord said, Abraham, hold it. Wow. He must have been thinking, well, man, God, I'm so glad to hear from you now. Abraham said, here I am. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. There it is. God came through to his name, didn't he? He came through to the name change. He went from Abram, high father, to Abraham, father of nations. And Abraham was obedient in all that. And one more time, God confirmed his promise. So I take all that this morning to illustrate to us that God has a plan for what he asks of his people. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for us as a body of believers. And I'm here to tell you this morning that your future is just as important as Abraham's was. Your future is just as important as what Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Your future is just as important to God as theirs were. And I know we find it hard to believe, don't we, sometimes? We find it hard to believe that a God that is so awesome that we sang about today, how great is our God, how great is our God, how that great God could take our life and call it important. But it is. Our world here in Charlevoix, our world here at Charlevoix Assembly of God, moving to Center Point Assembly, is just as important as it was to Abram moving to Abraham. God's promises are just as important to us as it was for him. And sometimes we need to have reminders along the way. And I think that's why God is giving us a name change, because he wants us to recognize who we are in Christ, not who we are in our own right, not who we are and what we think we can do, but who we are in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, will you make me the center point of your life? Will you make, as a church, will you make Jesus the center point of this church? Will we then serve the community likewise? Remember last week we spoke that a name is too important for two reasons. It identifies to those outside of our organization who we are. And it's a challenge and a reminder to those inside the organization who and what we are. Basically, a properly selected name identifies from without and challenges from within. 
It identifies from without and challenges from within. So it's important that we understand the name. Now, I also believe the Lord has given us a logo. And uh, Grayson, would you hand out that, that paper, please? Um, and Larry, could you put the logo up on the slide? I want to talk about this. I want to talk about um, the logo. Um, and I really believe it's significant for a number of reasons. And so I give a paper out for you to take and uh, to read through and to have as your reminder. Um, I really believe the Lord has given us a... Uh, everything on this, logo, uh, everything on this is, is significant for, for various reasons. If you take a look at the first thing you see is a cross. The, the biggest thing on there is a cross. And what's so significant about the cross? Well, I think we all know that, don't we? That the cross is the, is the, the essence why Jesus came. Jesus, Jesus would not have come to earth if it, if it wouldn't have been for the cross. He wouldn't have come to earth just to walk on earth with mankind. The only reason he came to, to the earth was because of the cross. He came because he knew he had to die on the cross for our sins. He had to be the sacrifice for our sins. So the, the cross is very important, and, and it signifies the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that he was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice that he willingly became on our behalf. So obviously the cross is very important. The circle on the cross, the outer circle, that's ringed with the black or the darker uh, yellow, that signifies our life. And the, the reason that it's bounded like that is, is because it's a bounded life. It's a bounded life and it's centered on the cross. Why is it important that it has boundaries on it? I think that is one of the biggest lies that the devil gives us today is that our life needs to have godly boundaries. It needs to be bounded to be properly unified and properly set on the cross in the first place. If we had a life that without boundaries, we would have a life of anarchy. We would have a life of total confusion. It's so important that we understand godly boundaries are for our good. We've said it before many times. When God says don't, in his word, what he's really saying to us is don't hurt yourself. I know what happens when you do the things that I tell you not to do, and they're not good for you. So I'm not telling you don't do something, or I'm not telling you to do something to take away your joy, to take away your happiness, to take away your freedoms. Really, I'm telling you, I'm giving you instructions so that you can be free without regret, and you can live a life totally set on Jesus Christ and totally set on eternity. So our life has to be centered on the cross, and it has to be bounded. The red star in the middle of that is really Jesus Christ. Obviously, Jesus was centered on the cross, and it's important that we see Jesus centered on the cross and also centered in the center of our life. Everything has to revolve around Christ. The cross revolved around Christ. Our life has to revolve around Christ. So the red star signifies Jesus at the center of the cross and also at the center of our life. The filled-in circle, it's filled in with a light color yellow. The reason that's filled in is because that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit comes to us at our moment of salvation. He dwells us. He dwells within us at that time. But then there's that second experience 
called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's with that baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's with that indwelling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, on a regular basis, that fills our life up. It fills it so the voids are gone. It doesn't give us an opportunity for the devil to get in and get a foothold because our life is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's filled completely. And with that, then, we have the power to live our life centered on Christ. If that life, if that circle wasn't filled in, it wouldn't have the stability to stay centered on the cross. It would, be, it would want to waver around and, and become one-sided or lopsided or maybe turn into an oval or, or change shape. But because the Holy Spirit fills our life up and it solidifies us, it allows us then to stay focused on Jesus and it gives us the strength to do what we need to do because we cannot do this on our own. We cannot live for Christ on our own. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Like we said at the beginning of the service, greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. That's exactly what that is. It's exactly what that is. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what's giving us the strength to live for Jesus. You notice that the cross members, the both vertical and horizontal cross members of the cross, are formed in an arrow or giving a directional image, directional headings. Vertically, it's important that we have our life lined up with God. As I keep Christ at the center point of my life, as the Holy Spirit fills my life, then I have the relationship with God the Father. That has to come first. So my Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills my life. It allows me to then have a relationship with the Father. Jesus said no man comes to the, to the Father unless he comes through Jesus. And no man comes to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So the Holy Spirit draws the man... Man then is, uh, has Jesus in his life, and then Jesus takes him to the Father, and then we have that relationship between the man and the Father, unhindered, unbroken, unfettered. And that's why as we live our lives in obedience to Christ, that keeps that relationship open, it keeps it pure, it keeps it uh, alive. Jesus said he didn't do anything unless, the whole, unless God the Father instructed him. Jesus, of all people, could have done things you would think on this life without having God speak to him. Because isn't he, wasn't he God? But yet, as an example for us, and, and as an act of obedience to his Father, he said, I don't do anything unless I hear from the Father first. And that's the same thing that this signifies for us, that we have to have our vertical relationship lined up with God so that we are hearing the voice of, the, of, of God. We're hearing his direction and his leadership in our life. And then as we keep that focused and that directional heading in line and, and true, and then notice the horizontal members are also put in the shape of an arrow. And now that allows us to go out to our brother's in this world that allows, allows us to go and, and do as Jesus asked us to do in his great commission, and that is go into all the world and preach the gospel and to make disciples. As my relationship is lined up with God, my relationship then lines up with people. It gives me the stability, that it gives me the confidence to go out and, and humbly and lovingly work with people that need to have Jesus in their life as well. So the significance of this logo Every time we look at it, we should be able to look at that and say, okay, am I off-centered a little bit? What do I need to tweak? What do I need to work on? What do I need to emphasize in my life? Am I living that logo out? Does that logo really signify my life? This is not a hard 
thing to do, folks. It just takes some diligence. It takes some discipline. It takes loving Jesus more than loving yourself. It means taking up your cross and following Jesus on a daily basis. You don't have to be super spiritual. You just have to love Jesus. (laughs) You don't have to get emotional. You just have to love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about living for him and doing for him as he's asking us to do. And as we keep them, as we keep Jesus at the center point of our life, and as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us on a regular basis, then we can do, as our mission statement says in the church, in the, in the foyer, then we can be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. As I, am, as I am keeping my relationship with God pure, and I'm then able to go out and touch people, that I can live in the world and not be of the world. I can go and I can make friends of the world and I can have acquaintances of the world and I can go into schools that are not full of Christ. I can, pull, I can go into my job and I talk to people that, that don't have Christ at the center point of their life. When I'm doing, as I'm keeping my life centered on Christ, I can be effective here on earth. I can be relevant here on earth. I can identify with people on earth and I can become then heavenly effective as I help lead them to Christ. And that gives us then the true mission statement that we have. So the name's important. The logo's important. The reminder's important. And this morning as we um, conclude, I want to just end this morning with communion. And I want to take the time that we would just um, remember who Christ is through the element of communion and partaking in the Lord's Supper. With him, that's something we do on a regular basis in this church, and uh, it's something that we do because we're commanded to do it. But more importantly, it's because we can do it, because we have the authority to do it, and because we can enjoy that fellowship with Christ through the communion and through the celebration of His life. So, I, I, like we normally do, let's just come up to the front if you're comfortable, and let's just gather around up here, and let's just take communion up at the front. Um, again, you do not be, need to be a member of this church. The only requirement that, that we have for communion is that you love Jesus. That's it. Um, that's the only thing that would be, your, be a requirement here is that you have Christ in your heart and in your life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, let me just read that, and then um, I'd like to just have you come up, and let's, let's communion up, have communion up here up at the front. But it instructs us clearly. That we are to examine our life. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. And that's what we're doing today. So why don't we just take a moment here before we come up and let's just close our eyes. Let's just take the next few minutes and let's examine our lives this morning. And let's say, Father, if there be any way within me that you're not pleased with, make it known to me. Forgive me of my sins this morning. Forgive me of my failures. Forgive me of the things that I've done that are not pleasing in your sight. You, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make me worthy to come into your presence. I know we have a hard time with that word. I have a hard time with that saying that I'm worthy to come into the presence of the Lord. I'm worthy. This morning, if you have Jesus in your life, Let me tell you, you are worthy to come into the presence of the Lord. You are worthy to come in and and enjoy communion with him, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. So this morning, if he's in your life, 
then you're worthy to come in and you're worthy to enjoy this time of fellowship around the, around the, the table of the Lord this morning. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Father, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And Lord, as those that are here this morning have their eyes closed and are also examining their hearts, I pray that they're praying that same prayer. Lord, that they are also clearing up any issues that they may have. And they're saying they're sorry and they're repenting of their sin and they're recognizing who you are. And Lord, now we get the time to celebrate. We get the time to enjoy the benefits of coming in your presence and enjoying the Lord's table with you this morning in Jesus' name. So would you stand with me? Come up to the front, if you will. Let's just take some time. Um, if you're comfortable, you're, I'd love to have you come up. We're just going to um, take the elements. Come serve yourself, if you would. Would you, uh, Larry, Lawrence, would you get that down? Just take, serve yourself if you would, please. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We were talking about reminders today. Communion is a reminder for us of the marriage supper of the Lamb that's coming. It's a reminder for us of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sin. God is a God of remembrance. He's a God of reminders. And when we take communion on a monthly basis, we never let this, we don't ever want this to become a ritual we don't want to ever let this become just something we take for granted, something that we just do. But let us, ever, let us remind ourselves of the significance of what Jesus did in the cross for us and the hope and the promise that we have of eternal life as a result. And with that then comes joy and peace and happiness. It doesn't take away your problems necessarily. You're still going to have the tests. Abraham still, still was tested, wasn't he? We just talked about his test. You're going to have your test in your life. But this reminder of the body of Christ is for your healing, Kelvin. It's for that back. It's for deliverance from the habits that we have. It's for Rich Miller today laying in a hospital bed. It's for Casey Parker with the cancer that she's still struggling with in her body. It's for all the people that you know that have problems and, sin, and sicknesses. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the sacrifice of your body. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did so willingly and so humbly. Lord Jesus, we just really can't even begin to comprehend what that meant. What you went through for us. That you gave up heaven. You took on the form of a man, take on the, took on the form of your creation and all the weaknesses of your creation 
and you took our penalty of our sin. We are so grateful for that. We are so thankful for that. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did in the cross. We partake now of this cracker, which symbolizes your body. And in that, we remember who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cracker together, please. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, he didn't stop there, though. He didn't stop just with the body. He didn't stop with just what he gave up. But what the blood signifies is the future. The blood signifies life. There's life in blood. And when he spilled his blood on the ground for us, he was then splashing us with eternal life. He was anointing us with the blood of Christ. He was giving us life everlasting of the blood that he gave up for us. And so this juice here in our hand represents the blood of Christ. It represents the life that we have. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, there it is. That's the future. The new covenant is a future. It's the new covenant. It's the newness of coming, of life. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Again, here it is, in remembrance of me. God is a God of remembrance. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We really do thank you, Father in heaven, our heavenly Father today. And I know, Jesus, you're at the right hand of the throne and you're looking down upon us today and you are interceding for every one of us. You are praying for each one of us today. And we thank you, Jesus. We really do, Father. We, we just can't wait until we can get on that day where we can walk into those great, that throne room of heaven and we can see you there and we can look at you face to face and we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for this new covenant, this new hope. Thank you for the new name that we have written down in heaven today. We honor you this morning, Jesus. We praise your holy name today. We love the relationship that we have with you personally. All because of what you did so willingly in the cross for us. Let's partake of the juice together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. And let's just worship the Lord as we go this morning. And let's just bless the name of the Lord for the blood that he shed for us. Amen. Let's sing along with Jackie. Jesus washes me. 